Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to do what I want to do. And two things are going to happen. Either no one's ever going to care or I made my own lane, basically. Yeah, right. I'm paraphrasing. You got lane. ahead of the culture, right? right. So I made my own lane. I mention Dan the Automator every week on this podcast. It's his music that opens and closes each episode. But I don't usually get to talk more about him, about how he revolutionized hip-hop with projects like Dr. Octagon, Deltron 3030, the first Gorillaz album. Dan the Automator has a place in music like Phil Spector or Brian Eno or the Dust Brothers. He changed the sound of an entire decade. He kept hip-hop weird, cosmic, brilliant. I've gotten to know him over the years. We both have roots in western San Francisco, and I found his mind is a lot like his music, eclectic and whip-smart and sampling widely. We set up at his place in San Francisco and talked about tacos, Cambodian pho, and the unique pressures of making art while Asian. I'm Nathan Thornburg, and you're listening to The Trip drinking with exceptional people around the world. So tell me, what are we, what are we drinking here? It's kind of a take on Negroni. It has like the, the high proof cinar and some grand poppy like sweet thing, kind of like in gin. It's a smooth motherfucker. And I like it. It's been a little bit of like a Bourdain nostalgia day. I'm talking to Kamau and... We had just gone out to Kenya with him. One thing about Tony, which I'm sure it's on his Wikipedia page, is that man liked a Negroni. Don't we all, though? <laughs> it's really good, though, I gotta say. It's super good. I'm, I don't know if I'm just ready for it. I'm ready for it, too. It was funny. Like, last night, two nights, I was in L.A. and Long Beach the last two nights and off before we started recording. And, like, um, just got back 20 minutes before Nathan got here. And, like, you know, he's been traveling, obviously, as well. But had, like, a, a really great two meals in a row in Long Beach, which... I feel like we should we should announce that to the world. Let's just restate that. Dan just had two great meals in Long Beach, yes. which is not a sentence that I thought I was going to walk into. No, me, me either. And, and, you know, like, the night before, like I said, as well, I was, had, had, I was eating a little bit with Roy, Roy Choi and, and Dave Chang, and the two meals in Long Beach are, like, memorable as shit. started out, like, Suarez, it was a late-night taco thing, just a whole, but, like, their special was, like, birria tacos three tacos with a consomme side and then like the best barbacoa i've ever had in america i also did a cabeza that was pretty good too you were telling me this when i walked into the spot today and i was sort of like well maybe you're just in a special time in your life where things are tasting better maybe you're entering some kind of magical food moment yeah some (laughs) realm where it's just like the negronis are sweeter and stronger and the barbacoa is deeper and Uh, it could be it was funny though like like, as soon as i had these tacos i was like i hit roy Choi. i was like roy he's like 
you gotta you gotta come to this other spot. We'll see. I was like, and I, I'm not saying the other spot won't be as good, but you hit that rarefied air where like everything yes. is just an opinion as opposed to like anything else. You know what I mean? Well, that's right because yeah. it meets your criteria. Yeah, like it is objectively a bad motherfucking taco. Right, and then you can figure out like then you just get to fight. Like about, this is my favorite. This right. is my favorite. But they're all living right there, and like so, I'm gonna make his ass go to Long Beach with me <laughs> just because, like you know, it's like you know because we 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 don't. I go to Long Beach because I do a little work down there with my friend Julia and, and stuff. But, like, we d- don't tend to eat like this. And then, anyway, so this morning, we, we were, like, we're talking about this. I met my man Dave, who actually owns a restaurant a restaurant up here called Namugaji. Mm-hmm. So he was with he was down there with me. And um, he was That's talking Dave to me. Dave Lee. Yeah. yeah. He was talking to me about stuff. And he was, like, everyone's saying, man, fuck, Cambodian fuck. And, and like Cambodian fuck. Okay, I'm really late to the game. I, like I was saying, I never knew that the Cambodians made pho. I, I feel like I've really kind of dropped the ball in this one because <laughs> the sh- shit was incredible. Like, well, we're in we're in San Francisco. We're on Irving Street. You yeah. know, you got all the pho parlors, yeah. and you'll feel like you know at the at the height of your game going to one of those spots. But you're saying there's this next thing. Oh, this is next. It's funny actually that we're talking about pho because like. I just did this movie with um, Randall Park and Ali Wong, and Ali's like from San Francisco, and she's a big pho. I did not know she was from San Francisco. Yeah, and she's a big pho proponent, but like the the whole Cambodian pho thing was like, first of all, I think it was, it, it's like it comes with a pork knuckle sitting right inside. It's like a pork broth, you know what I mean? Which is typically beef, I think, with Vietnamese, I guess. Yeah, that's right. And just blow up a totally different flavor profile. <laughs> yeah, it, but it was so ridiculously good. We, we got up early today just to go there, and I'm so happy we did because it was so good. Get the fuck out. I mean, it's it's funny because pho is such a part of, like, my California story involved moving out here. I, we left my mom, came out to San Francisco to be with my father, and I'd never been here before. I came from Key West, Florida. Right. There was one Filipino kid in the entire island, and otherwise was zero Asian. I came as an 11-year-old, and immediately I met a kid named, his last name was Tran, Vietnamese kid. He was the first of four children that had been born in America, so they called him California. Mm. So his name was Cali Tran. Shout out, Cali. I know you're out there. His family ran a restaurant. And I will never have the words to describe being a kid from Key West, Florida, coming out here and immediately having like a close friend who was Vietnamese, whose family ran a Vietnamese restaurant oh, in the dude. Richmond. It just like, it exploded my cosmos. Like, no, I, no, I got me- you, man. For people who aren't from, from out here, it's like Vietnamese... They came later, like, you know, there was Chinese, Japanese, right. and the, well, the Vietnamese dropped in, and they were like, boom. They brought fucking bags of herbs. Yeah, it's way, way more, <laughs> like, gangster. It's way more raw in that kind of way, you know yes. what I mean? And it's awesome. It's, it's, that is true. I did get my ass kicked by some Vietnamese gangs in the day. Like, well, if you really want to know the history of San Francisco in the late 70s, early 80s, there was a big problem with Chinese gangs. Mm. Big problem. You know, they were like, really like for like Asian kids that were around. Yes. There was like a, a lot of pressure and a lot of like, I missed it by a little bit of age-wise, but just a little bit, but like this shit was going on. But what happened was, right after they were really big, and it was like that Golden Dragon shooting, you know, things went down. Right, right. But after that, what happened was like, a lot of the war-torn country people came over, like the Vietnamese and stuff, and they didn't give a fuck. They were and, not and, playing around and, with yeah, shrimp boys. No, like, no, right. Yes. And then, so people were like, oh. Because like, there's a difference between, like, I'm tough 
I'm playing gangster in San Francisco, or I'm tough, and there's been wars going on. I've been killing rats to eat, like right. seriously. You know what yeah. I mean? And or water, whatever, water muskrats, I whatever. You know what I'm saying? Though, like it, it's like a different, a different level right. of like just pure hardness, and like that wipe. I don't, I'm not gonna say that was solely responsible for wiping out the gang thing, but it had a lot to do with it. Right. Like when the Vietnamese cats and the, you know, all, all the other like people were coming from war-torn spots, this is all bullshit to them. That's a fact and like both you and I, products of San Francisco mm-hmm. Public School District, like mm-hmm. if you saw some dudes in your school that had hair that like hung halfway over their eyes, yes. that was the look and like it took me, I didn't get the signal for too long. Like uh-huh. I think I got my ass kicked a few times before right. I realized Oh shit! Like these are tough kids. Yeah, right. like, yeah, because like I, I got a pass because I was a dork and also like I was Asian, so it was like you know I didn't really have to deal <laughs> Wait, with. Wait, I too was much a dork. Of... Why didn't I get the dork pass? Because <laughs> I was a gangly ass white kid. I mean, it didn't even have to do with that. It was like an an all consuming like an urban violence around and like you're saying around like kids who had had some really fucking tough lives yeah. that I couldn't even begin to understand maybe this is just the independent spirit of the Bay Area normally I talk about independence in terms of music but I'm going to talk about this in terms of drug dealers and oh like, nice yes and like you know back back when the the Crips and Bloods tried to infiltrate other cities they came to Oakland and Oakland wasn't having it you know what I mean like they're like nah you know what I mean because you got independent contractors up there. We just have our own thing, yeah. and and you know it's funny. I had I had some eggs with my father this morning. This is a great mm. thing about coming out here. I'm mm. I'm here for 20 hours, mm. but you know he was like, "Well, does it feel good to be home?" And I was like, "I don't know, man. Like I'm I'm literally you know flying in and flying out." But the Bay has this character that I feel gets misrepresented, and maybe is being watered down. Like maybe all the tech stuff is creating an environment that it just can't survive but well it's a it's a different thing right now because we've always had this other side of it but here's the thing the bay area is the center of the universe in terms of like innovation and, and money new money and things happening but like at the same time the culture is almost like it's it's a, just a different rotation you know what i mean i just don't think that like um a lot of culture goes hand in hand with tech and tech kind of starts to acquire culture. I don't mean just like, you know, street culture or whatever. I mean, you know, like art and everything. Because you got a lot of people right. who are, un, are, are great programmers, maybe been programming their whole life, and they come here, and there's all this great culture here. It just takes a while to get into it, you know what I mean? So yeah. that's an optimistic view. Like, yes. they could be assimilated. Don't we all have to, like, learn stuff? You know what I mean? I, I, I would think. I appreciate that. I feel like that's a very generous... Like, we could sit here and have a, like... San Francisco native like shit talking session about like all the excesses of tech culture. Yeah, yeah. But at at the same time and there have been like some people I think who who have expressed this better than I could that that San Francisco's always been a boom town. It's always been a thing that's changing with frequency, but my particular feeling it feels like that particular moment left. Well, well, and here's it's not the thing. Coming back well, here's and, the thing like San Francisco has survived a couple tech booms. We had we survived the dot com boom, followed by the dot com bust, yes. followed by like some some growth. And I got you know what? By both of those, <laughs> but yes, and, you know there was a first one, then there was a second one. Now there's like one that seems to be holding. In the bigger picture, the difference I think between say us and I don't know New York City because we're like probably the two uh, most international cities. You know, like culturally speaking, you know, like people from all different races and areas and stuff. The difference is, is is New York, especially on the money side, they're still like Wall Street and like old money and right. stuff that's already happened here. It's like, oh, let's try this. Oh, you know, let's 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 make a car service where people use their own cars or let's you know whatever. And so like, yeah. ideas get thrown up against the wall. Lots of lot of them are very bad. Some of them are really good. But like, 
it's the forefront of this combined with tech. And I think that, like, that's why there's a lot of shifts and a lot of change. But on the other side of it, for all the gentrification and all the other stuff, there's a lot of San Francisco in San Francisco, if you know what I'm saying. It's still happening. Yeah, yeah, The Excelsior is still the Excelsior. Right, and, you know, if I want to go eat or do anything like that, I'll find it. You know what I mean? Right, And it's really only here in New York and L.A. that I can really do that. That is true, and that's not a thing that the tech bros have brought in. No. Like, that's been here originally and legit. And like I said, I've, I'm, I'm kind of ashamed I never knew about Cambodian pho. Right. There's always things to discover. Right, because it's not like there weren't Southeast Asians where we went to high school. Right. Like, the Korean influx. Like, yeah. there was like a few Koreans and all of a sudden, yes. they're doing everything. You know what I mean? It's, yes. it's just like, and I'm not talking about San Francisco, I'm just talking about actually the U.S. You know what I mean? And it's like, we've like, had a few, a few like real big in some future episode, I will have my in-laws in to talk about the Korean influx. <laughs> so you think about like Gardena yeah, and like yeah. all the Japanese American enclaves that, that my oh, wife's they, family they, is they, from. Oh, they're from Gardena? Yeah, yeah. Listen, there's a whole other episode to be done about how everybody came from the camps and consolidated and they huddled for warmth and strength in, in South Central but do, do what, Gardena. I, I learned some uh, Japanese family thing. Yeah. I learned the reason, my parents are from L.A., both sides, they didn't know each other, right? They're from LA. Oh no, shit! I didn't but know but that. A, but after the camps, you know, they were like little little kids in the camps. But they grew up in Chicago, right? And I was like, why are all these Japanese in Chicago? Yes. And and what it was was first of all, so everyone knows, understands, is Japanese don't talk about shit, so they, we don't know about anything. No, you about you anything. have to go to the fucking library to yeah. find out what your right. family. Had so anyway, done. I found right. out like only in the last two years or something, you got out of camp like eight ten months early as long as you agreed to not live on the coast. That is correct. Yes. That's an absolute fact. But here's the thing, like, the only time we find this shit out is at eulogies. Like, people do not talk about shit. It's, you know what I mean? It's, it's the most astounding thing. I mean, listen, I don't want to get super heavy because right. we got these great Negronis and it's, yeah. we're in fucking San Francisco. Yes. Like, let's enjoy that. But I will say that the trauma that was put on Japanese Americans is being replayed right now with particularly with Mexican-Americans, particularly with, like, people coming well, across Well, this whole fear-mongering thing is, is crazy. You know, like, we, we just had an election I, I, for, to date this. It's like, you know, the, it's, what is it? Two days after the midterm elections. Yeah. And, and they were doing this crazy bullshit caravan thing for people walking, trying to leave oppressive situations to go try to get amnesty and try to register to do it. They turned them into these villains. 800 miles away walking like yes. it's some fucking threat. And, and you internalize yeah. that like sense of like we're the threat and the enemy. And then, I think, and, and then not to be yeah. whatever, but we had another shooting last night. It, yeah. it sure wasn't a bunch of Mexican guys or Middle Eastern guys, you know. It was in fucking Thousand Oaks yeah. and it was just another like white dude with yeah. a problem. And yeah. like for me it feels like that journey of discovering what had happened to my kid's grandfather yeah. and like that whole experience yeah. when they were in the camps was yeah. like this thing that just kind of blows my mind because they will not talk about it. I mean, listen, some of this Japanese culture and like... Oh, it's a and, lot of Japanese culture, I think. Yeah. Because you know what? Everyone is the same way. It's got to be cultural somehow. Even though like my family was here for a couple generations. They were on the second generation before this shit happened. And, and like it's always the same story, give or take details. You know what I mean? That's the thing that kind of drives drives me a little crazy. Is like if you compartmentalize and say, well, the only reason that Julia's grandparents and parents don't talk about it, that your parents and grandparents don't talk about it, the only reason that happens is because this is Japanese American culture, and they're you know it, it's they're very definitely in. part of it. It's part of it, but the sense of like constant attack and like cultural attack, yeah. where you were like constantly demonized and vilified. I do not underestimate the way that that's fucking with heads right now. Cause like, imagine like 
being somebody who's new to this country and you are now just the boogeyman. Let's not get into the fact that, of course, everyone knows we're all immigrants besides Native Americans. So tell me about this thing. So you and I went to the same high school. Mm-hmm. We went to Lowell High School. I think yeah. both of us hated it. Yeah. Uh, and, no, it's, you know, it's fine. You know, it's a school school, right? It's a, it's a public high school with academic uh, aspirations. <laughs> and it's like very tough for people who feel like that should not maybe be their thing in life. You know, back to what we were talking about earlier, like this is a very specific culture in San Francisco. Well, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm an Asian American. And you know that Tiger Mom shit? That's real. You had studied classical music. You would, yeah, yeah, you, the, whole thing, the whole deal. Violin. I mean, I, my mom was probably not the prototype tiger mom, but it's the same direction. Right. You know what I mean, like, I don't know an Asian American, not not first generation Asian, but Asian American whose right. parents didn't really want them to go to college unless yeah. they had a really thriving business. It's like, you know, the pressure to be—it's real. And when I say artificial, I mean not the pressure is artificial, but right. the, what they want us to do is an artificial thing. You know what I mean? In the end, like. I knew what I wanted to do since I was in seventh grade. I didn't know it, but I knew it. You know what mm. I mean? And school wasn't really a part of it. But at the same time, I come from an Asian family, so I'm not not going to go to school. I'm fucking finishing college and all that shit. I remember, like, one time I was, like, oh, with my parents and, like, people were, like, thinking, and, you, know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've sold millions and millions and millions of records. And my mom's like, so when are you going back to graduate school? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> like... You're like, Mom, call, no. me, call me automator for one. <laughs> and I will say, as much as I hated the physical experience of going to an academic magnet public high school oh. in San Francisco and just getting this shit tromped out of me every day, this was the thing is my father had gone to Lowell High School. Oh, okay. Because Lowell had been a Jewish school and then it transitioned to an Asian American school. <laughs> so, like, we had this thing. There had been this thing where, like, Jews used to occupy this space that Asian Americans yeah. then filled well, it, of just being like San Francisco's like true academic warriors. How do you go from being, you know, this kid at Lowell who's like got the same pressures that yeah. so many of us had there to releasing a first album that's like music to get murdered by? Well, I was DJing when I was in Lowell. I was hanging out, DJing, buying records, doing that stuff. Okay, I'm going to tell another thing that's a total like non, non sequitur in a way. Bring it on, man. I'm ready. Last week, I was hanging out with this guy, Joseph Kahn. He's probably the most famous video director ever. He's a Korean guy. But he directed all the Britney Spears videos, the chair, blah, blah. And he's, now he directs all the Taylor Swift videos. He's a brilliant director, except for his skills have only been seen in music videos. But, you know, he's a student of everything and, and blah, blah, blah. What I like about Joe is, and he has a movie out right now called Bodied. It's a rap battle culture movie. It's really good. Get the fuck out. Yes. I'm there. Awesome. I'll Bodied. See that. He's a student of the game. He makes beautiful stuff, but he can't get movies. But I know he's a big student of film. Like he only got one like funded movie. It was a movie called Torque, which was like about black motorcycle gangs, basically. That could have some market challenges. Yeah, me and him were like hanging out last week, and we're talking about this. It's like, isn't it great to be you know Asians and arts and doing things? Yeah. And like you know, now I feel it's like my responsibility to be a little bit more like you know you can do this. You know what I mean? Like. You don't have to be like. But there, there had been a time when you were, you were basically obviously like you. You enter hip hop. You work with African Americans who invented the genre. Oh, you said African Americans. <laughs> oh, I'm very straight here. All right. Listen, I mean, like, that's the culture you're going into, mm-hmm. and you came in. I mean, I don't know if it's like insanity or bravery. 
It's probably but, it's probably naivety. <laughs> I mean, just coming in as a Japanese American kid and just saying like you had a vision right. for this art form that I'm gonna just take a break just to just to say like that you know Dan the Automator is is one of my true first creative heroes and it's not just for me but also for Matt Goulding and Doug Humanic and like the people who started Roads and Kingdoms not only are they like fans like oh this is great music like there was this subculture on the peninsula like the you know like down south in the south bay and they had all created nicknames for each other based on your albums based on the worlds and the cosmoses that you had created and this shit is like and this is why you know when when it ended up coming through my wife's family that I had met you was this this sense of like are you fucking kidding me like this this is Dan the automator like this is a guy who ruled my world like I used it when I lived in Berlin in the fucking mid 90s I had a little like I had a little drum machine and I was like making tunes like the first thing I wanted to make was like some kind of crazy ass operatic hip hop mix that was just like a straight steal from what Dan Nakamura was doing and that I mean so for me it's like this sense of like Dan had changed the game like how do you decide that like you're gonna just dive right in and have the courage to do that it's being like uh, Asian American kid from San Francisco. You know, music towns are basically Nashville, LA, and New York. And obviously, Nashville doesn't apply for me because it's country. But LA and New York, you would make a fucking kick-ass country album. If it was gangster country, you know, like Old Willie Nelson or something, I could be into it. But anyway, like I love music. I, I'm a student of rap. I'm a student of all forms of music. But what what happened for me was I had success in terms of like if you're nobody and you're kind of like moving along. I had success in that way, but not real success. I had stuff happening, but the record that broke me out was called Dr. Octagon. And when I made Dr. Octagon, that was that moment. And and that moment's weird because I think I lost that moment for a while or it kind of comes and goes, you know what I mean? But it's where, like, I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks. I don't care. I think this is what is up. And and I'm also a student of classical music. I'm a student of, like, alternative rock. I'm, you know, so so when I went, went into it, I go, like, I don't really care what's going on. Everyone's making... This was, like, the mid-90s, and everyone's making, like, you know, Tribe Called Quest loops, with the exception of the Wu-Tang Clan, which I'm not going to say it was a big influence on me, but, like, it's a big influence in general on hip-hop, right? Right. But, like, I'm thinking more of, like, the kind of music I wanted to make, everyone's looking for the cool jazz loop. Right. Right. And, and which is great music, by the way. I love that music. But it got to that point where, like, it's cool jazz loops or it's DJ Premier on the East Coast. On the West Coast, it's Dre. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm just like, you know what? All incredible, great stuff. But I'm going to go and go back to the, not traditional hip-hop, but tradition in the sense of, like, early hip-hop... Man, you could sample anything. It was like country music, rock, run DMCs, rhyming with Aerosmith, you know, whatever, right. blah, blah, blah. I was like, everyone got so, like, focused. Close, focused in. Like, New York was like certain kind of soul music or jazz. You know, LA was like, you know, like funkadelic loops and, and beats. You know what I mean? And I was just like, you know what? Hip hop can make music out of anything. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to do anything. <laughs> And at the time, you know, I was like, I was really a big fan of Bjork and all these things. And, you know, but also because hip hop, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm just going to go for it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care if anyone buys this. I don't care if anyone whatever's this. Right. I'm just going to go there because I feel that. And you know what? 
It's it's a funny thing. I, I just sorry. I just came back from this weird convention where everyone's talking about like inspiration and blah blah blah. I'm like, right. you know what? The thing is, is you gotta have no plan B. You know what I mean? Like once you right. start thinking about that kind of stuff, you lose that edge. And I'm not desperate or anything. I'm just saying some Asian kids could live in their parents' house till they're 85 years old. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm cool. You know what I mean? But I'm going for it, period, right? So when I went and did Dr. Octagon, I was like, I'm going to do everything from every not giving the fuckness around and and every type of thing. What an incredible noun. Not giving a fuckness. Right, And, and that's what allowed me to go in there. I was talking to my friend before I made this record, and he's like, you know, you're really good at making beats and everything, but your shit's a little different. Why don't you make stuff that people are doing? You know, you can get some jobs. I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to do what I want to do. And two things are going to happen. Either no one's ever going to care, or I made my own lane, basically. Yeah, right. I'm paraphrasing. You got ahead lane. of the culture, right? right. So I made my own lane. And my own lane has been great because my own lane doesn't give a fuck. It's, it's like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And like I said, where I lost a little touch with this is when I started making hits, I'm like, I got right, to keep some it, of the stuff going to You get it addicted. Going. Yeah, and I'm like... So you did Gorillaz, which yeah. became a big hit. Well, yeah, and that was also a don't give a fuck record, by the way. But like after that, you know, it's like, you know, when they start like doing the stuff, I was like, maybe I got a little less like totally out of the box. And I think that was a mistake. Not, not a... Terrible. It's like everything's worked out very well. But I'm just saying, like, there's something about the pure exuberance of just going for it. This is also Asian, and it kind of sucks. I never really enjoyed the moment. I kept right. moving forward, that, making things. And you know what? Way. I'm not saying I regret that because it's allowed me to be where I am. Right. But I definitely did not enjoy all the things that were happening as they're happening. And, and you know what? I don't know. Whatever. This or that. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm not. I'm not trying to say that's been horrible in retrospect and in the same time I, I don't think I wanted to live in a moment and if I did you know it's over right but there's some kind of weird balance that like Asian work ethic and and, and cheapness you exist in this space that I believe could not be more important in our country right now it's like here's a Japanese American guy who's got some fucking vision that will take our greatest national cultural product, which is hip-hop, and mesh it with his own sense of self and his own history. You know what's funny? I'll say this because people won't necessarily understand this unless I say it. It's really hard to be Asian in the arts for one reason, besides like you know race and people looking at you. It's hard because you can't really be super Asian. Because then the Asians will embrace you, but they also put an extra ceiling on you. It's kind of encapsulating you and holding you. So, like, I spent a lot of my career not being Asian, not 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 denying it or pretending that wasn't me, until I got to a level where, like, I couldn't be the Asian producer. You know what I mean? Like, right. It, it's, a, it's a weird artificial ceiling. And, and so now, like, right. when, I, when I went past all that, I feel like I can be more Asian now. Not like I couldn't be before in terms of culturally but in terms of like work wise i didn't want to be like oh he's the best asian producer you got to be like just I the mean, best period that's what I, you're going for they want to just hold you for your own their own yeah, you know what i mean yeah. and that's awesome they care right. but it also like puts a ceiling on you so it's a, it's a weird combo of like you want to push the air you want the lift yeah right you the don't lift. want the ceiling yeah but here's the thing like 
not having to do anything with Asia, but doing with San Francisco. You can never be famous in San Francisco. Yeah. You have to be famous somewhere else, and then San Francisco will be like, ah, oh, that's our people. You that's know, like, so fucking I true. didn't get, like, my back when I did Dr. Octagon, the big music magazine was a free magazine called BAM. Yes. Right. I remember BAM. When I was coming up, I had done some couple little cool things, whatever. I did a blurb about, like, a third of an inch high. You know what I mean? Like, he did this. Dr. Octagon blew up in England, and all of a sudden, we're on the cover of BAM. I have to go famous out of the country to get a big article in local. I mean, that's and, basic and that, human psychology. That's, that's another dude looking at your girl. Yeah, I guess. But, <laughs> but it's, a, it's a San Francisco thing, but it's also that Asian thing. It's like, you know what? They, they want to push you in the Asian thing, but then you're Asian. It's complicated. It's a little different now. Could you have made it if you just stayed, I'm, I'm Dan Nakamura. I'm a producer. I don't know. Maybe. The reason I say maybe is because and we will go back to the Joseph Kahn thing for a minute. Yeah. But like maybe because I funded my own things a lot, so no one could stop me from doing it. <laughs> She's just been like, I'm paying for this bitch. Yeah. Yes. I'm gonna be Dan Nakamura right now. Oh yeah, right. Which he funds his own movies. He makes, you know, millions of dollars doing Taylor Swift videos and Jerry Seinfeld American Express commercials and blah blah. No one gives him a movie. So like he pays for his own movie. But the thing me and him were talking the other day was I was like, you know, it's cool now, you know, crazy with agents, blah blah blah. There's a little bit more upwind I, I i feel okay now because i've gone through the ringer that i can be a little bit more um inspirational you know what i mean or something yeah. you could look at it and go like oh yeah asian guy can do this and he was like that's the most fucked up shit ever he's like what's fucked up about no it? he's like we're asians our parents want us to be doctors and lawyers that's a good living <laughs> We do well. Don't put these fucking fucked up dreams in their heads. <laughs> and then, like, they try to do the stuff and not, don't live as well. He's like, look, you either have the drive to do it or you don't. And that's where I start to agree with him a little bit. No one's going to stop me since I was beginning. And he's like, same for him. No one's going to stop him. You know what of I mean? Of course. Like, how but, else but, would like, you break so through? Like, so, like, me or him talking about how you can do this, maybe you can't do this. Maybe you need to just find your way is what he's saying. And, and, like, I don't 100% disagree with him. It's just kind of one of those things where I'm like, you know, it's interesting. It's really weird for me because, like, like, his point of view is not my point of view. But at the same time, I'm like, right? Hmm, maybe you're on to some little part of this. Well, we I, I remember having this feeling when journalism shook out and, yeah. like, you know, there were no good jobs. You know, you couldn't get into it for the perks or the benefits we would have a lot of young people come up and just say, like, how do I get into journalism? Like, how do I start doing this thing? And the one thing I could say with absolute fucking certainty is if there's anything else you can do in life... Do it. Do it. Right. If either there is you, not... Either, then, then that's then, your shit. That's what you're supposed to do. Then you will make it. Yes. You, like, no, no matter I what they... 100%. Yeah. And when he told me that, I was like, you know what? You're not wrong. Like I said, I've opened my, myself up more to the Asian thing. Not yeah. like I was against Asians... It's crazy. You were in Long Beach at an Asian, Asian conference, yeah. But you would never have done that. I mean, what ten I know, years ago, no, no. What way. I know about you yeah. is like you were just like I'm. That's not me. I'm just me. Period. I, I'm not, me. Not, right. yeah. I don't belong to this group. But it's, it's funny. About six months ago, and this is not where I started thinking this way, but this was like kind of a, a reaffirming moment. Sitting right here at this table, actually, was this guy, Ted Chung. Ted Chung is one of the coolest motherfuckers out there he manages snoop dogg he's okay. been managing him for years he also does mary jane weed all this stuff right oh shit yeah and, and and we were hanging out we're super fucking drunk right he's like dude i gotta tell you something man 
when we were coming up, man, we would come up Bay Area, whatever. We would just fucking play your music and go, there's an Asian guy doing this shit. You know what I mean? And I'm like, motherfucker, you're like, you know, you're you're balling. Like, you know, you're doing crazy shit. You made me cry again, man. That's, yeah. yeah, that's super deep, man. That's really and, deep. and I was like, yes, thank you. I, I, I didn't mean to be that, but there's a little bit of a beacon where these guys, when they're coming up just a couple years behind me, they're like, this is something... He did it. I can do this shit. Right. But he had the initiative to do it as well. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm, that's my motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like, that's my man. Yeah. He's doing big fucking snoop moves. I'm like, all right. None of us give a fuck. Yeah. In the best possible yeah, way. Yeah, 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 yeah. No fuck. Which comes from a very, very deep giving a fuck. Yeah. No, I we mean, give a fuck about everything to the point where we <laughs> can get to that point where we don't give a fuck. And listen, there was a reason why I think one of the first times I dragged myself out of uh, out of my apartment after Tony killed himself was to go and like just have a drink with you. Yes. Down in in the Flatiron, I was just like, because like I just felt like here's somebody who who had known him and known yeah. me and just like it, no, but even, it meant even, a lot to me. Even right after, no, I don't want to be morbid, but right after happened, like do you remember when you went to like um, the chicken spot on right by my house in New York? You know, it's like you're hitting me. I'm like. You know what? Bob it's, White for life. Yeah, Bob man. White. And I was like, I understand. I like I understand this. Like yeah. it, it all yeah. it all like makes sense. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's too bad that sad times sometimes bring people together or, or whatever, but like, you know, like we all have you know, we're all part of each other in that way. What a fucking pleasure, man. Let's get some drinks yeah. uh, with family and yeah. have uh, have a little bite to eat. Perfect. Dan. Oh, thank man. you, man. Thank you for having me. It's awesome. The Trip is hosted by me, Nathan Thornburg, produced by Josie Holtzman and Danielle Roth of Future Projects. Our editor is Roads and Kingdoms' Taffy Mukunyadze. Our executive producers are me and Matt Goulding, also of Roads and Kingdoms. Thanks, as always, to Adele Rodriguez for the art. Check out the updated art and logo he made for the show. And to the man in this episode, Dan the Automator, for the show's music. Next week, it's off to Copenhagen for a conversation with Rocio Sanchez, a rising star from Chicago who brought ridiculously good Mexican cooking to Denmark of all places. I'll meet you there. Buenos dias, world, from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wendt. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.